Uh, if you turn with me in your Bible to uh, Psalm verse chapter 4, we're continuing our series on the songs of summer, going through the Psalms. And as we talk today, we're going to talk about a Psalm in Psalm 4 that talks about when life isn't fair. When life isn't fair and, and something's happening in our lives uh, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we can sense that. Why is this happening? What's going on? How do, we, how do we deal with frustration? Whether it's frustration at work. Maybe you have that coworker that just is driving you crazy or a boss or somebody was promoted over you that didn't deserve it or um, you were laid off and you'd worked there for years or frustration in a relationship. And how do you take, how do you deal with that? Do we shove it down into our hearts and just say, well, we, we're not angry. We're just not going to accept the fact that we're angry. Do we deny it? Do we take it out on others? Do we take it especially on the, on the ones that we love? Sometimes our own frustration and anger, we take it out on the ones we love. Or perhaps, you know, there's a lot of movies and books that are done this. Do we fantasize about revenge? Do we sometimes think, oh, I hope that something bad happens to that person? I hope, oh, because there's, I mean, there's all kinds of, like I said, uh, material that's out there. It's like when the bad guy gets it, we all, yeah, that guy deserved it. Okay? And we, in our hearts, we kind of do, want to do the job of God. Okay, God, a lightning bolt would be very nice right now. I can give you the address. Just send it down. Maybe just a warning shot this first time, but next time, really drill them with it. And the disciples, it's funny about that. James and John asked for a lightning bolt to be sent down, and Jesus is like, you don't get to do that. <laughs> and I always think that that's a really good idea that God doesn't give us the power to give lightning bolts because... That would be bad. So we're talking about, again, in the Psalms today, we're talking about the Psalms. And in the Psalms, it's all kinds of emotion. It's the greatest highs of life, the greatest lows. Um, when you're depressed, when you're up. When, you, when everything's going well, when things aren't going well. When you need a prayer answered, when God has just answered your prayer. The Psalms cover everything. When I've sat next to people that are dying, I read them the Psalms. Because there's so many Psalms that can be comforting. And the psalm that we're talking about today is what's called a lament. Now, a lament is something that, uh, there's a whole book of lamentations, but lament is the fact that we're saying, this is what's going on, God. Please do something about it. But what's different about a lament and a whining session is a lament says, I turn it over to God. But you still say this stinks. Okay? It's okay to tell God, my life feels right now like it stinks. God is not up in heaven going, oh, you're supposed to say everything's wonderful all the time. How dare you say things aren't perfect? But the difference is, it, so many times we get stuck in the lament, and what we start to do is just to complain. I've talked to people, and finally, I hate to say it, but there are some people when I approach them, I'm like, I don't want to hear about it again. All right? Does anybody else ever feel that way? And... Because what I want to say is there's nothing I can do about it. If there's something I can do about it, I would have done it 30 stories ago when he told me about it. Yet I don't want to be that person either, but it still hurts. And But we have to do something with it. And I think the Psalms are helpful to us because it can help us know what to do with it. Know where to take the anger. Know where to take the frustration. And it isn't just that we just deny it. You know, this everything's okay and we're just denied or we don't cover it with uh, substances or we don't cover it with 
a lifestyle. We cover it. We, we go to God and find a solution to what is going on in our life. So we do have feelings of resentment, bitterness, and frustration, but we can show it in the presence of God. God is not offended by our frustration. There is things in there that says, I mean, there are some in, in Psalms where, where David will just go up, how long, O Lord, are you going to let this go on? Are you listening? And it, it sounds like he has an intimate relationship. We're going to see that even today, that we can come to God with everything we have. So let's just read Psalm 4. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has, been set, up, has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up, your, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when the, when the grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So let's find out what is the situation. We talked about last time I was here, we talked about the situation with Absalom, where Absalom was pursuing his father and he kind of rebelled against his own dad. We don't know the circumstances of chapter 4, but many people think this is just a continuation of his frustration with that. And Psalm 3 was a morning prayer, and this one's about night. And I think what's important to understand, I talked about this, about a peaceful sleep, is at night is where things start to get to us. When things are quiet, we're in our room, and we're starting to think about what's going on in life, and, and there's no distractions, and, and things start to eat at us. And this is David's prayer during this time. David has been an unjustly accused of something, a crime or a sin. We're not sure. Like some people say it might be the Absalom thing, but we don't know. But what's interesting about this is he has been accused and he knows that he is innocent. He knows that he has not committed what he has been accused of. And we need to understand that there's things in this life that are going to happen that we're not guilty. Okay? Life isn't fair. I mean, how many times have you told kids that? Well, kids, it's not fair. Well, life isn't fair. We want, but sometimes we need to be told that maybe. Maybe just return that to ourselves and say, you expected everything to roll your way? You expected sinners to act another way besides sinfully? You expected everything to roll this way? It, it doesn't go that way. And he knows he is innocent, but is burdening him and hurting him. It is weighing him down. The word for distress here, he, he feels like he is penned in. Like he has no hope. He can't go anywhere. He doesn't know what to do. And this is his feeling. And I love the raw emotion that he, that he shows here. I am in distress. Answer me, God. There's a lot of exclamation points that are in this book of Psalms because they could be actually shouting. God, what is going on? I'm so frustrated right now. It's okay to show our emotions to God. God is not offended by that. And... He talks about what is the source of his accusation. Verse 2, he talks about old men or sons of men. And this word here means people of prominence. People that actually have influence. Okay, I just talked about being Myanmar. If the people of Myanmar are spreading rumors about me right now, it doesn't really bother me. 
Remember a few months ago we had that guy from Bemidji here? Yeah, let's talk about him. Okay. Okay, me and Myanmar doesn't matter to me because I don't know any, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's not connected. But these are people that are people of prominence. These are people that, that are speaking and they're hurting his reputation. You may have been in a situation, maybe you own a business and people are speaking poorly of your business or speaking poorly of your, your personality or speaking poorly of, of your reputation. And these are people of prominence. And, and they, when he says, oh man, he says, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? His reputation, they're ruining his good name. And we all know how important it is to have a good name. And when somebody is out there and they are gossiping behind your back, it's probably one of the most frustrating things. But I want you to understand something. Throughout this whole psalm, I want you to see one thing that we need to always grasp. And you won't see it till the very end, but I'm going to give you kind of a hint right here. We always have to be careful we're not the person on the other end. Because when we're talking about somebody, are we causing somebody sleepless nights? And David's going to talk about this here a little bit too. We need to be careful because we know the hurt of having somebody hurt our good name. We need to be very careful that we're not doing about somebody else. So there's a two-way street going on here. And David's going to talk. He's going to do some self-talk here. He's going to talk himself through. But you need to understand that he is looking at this and saying, what is going on in my life? Why do they do this? He tries to confront his accusers and they will not listen. He, he talks about, they will not listen to me, God. I tried to talk to them and say this. They won't listen to me. I'm a victim of vile gossip and is causing restlessness and anguish in his life. So what's his solution? Verse 1 really lays it out. There are three imperative words, these strong words. And you see the exclamation point. Answer me when I call. You know who he's talking to right there is God. You say, that doesn't seem very respectful. Aren't we supposed to speak and say, oh God, if you might maybe could pay attention to me, uh, perhaps if you're not busy in New York today, if you could talk to me. I'm sorry, this is David, the man after God's own heart. You know what David says? Answer me when I call. And he calls out and he says, um, when, when I was in distress, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. What does that come from? That comes from a relationship with God. He knows that he can express frustration to God. And so many times, we don't go to the source of somebody that can do something about it. We need to go to God because he can change things. Instead of complaining to everybody else, complain to God who can change it. David just does it right here. Answer me. I, be gracious to me. I need your help. Come on. It's okay. And I, I think it's very important that we have that. Confidence and relationships with God. The first place he runs to when others are gossiping about him is God. And my question to us, is that true of us? Or do we look for an opportunity to get back at that person? Because the human instinct is they did it to me, the rule of the playground, you know. They hit me, I get to hit them. They gossiped about me, guess what? I'm going to gossip about them. That's not the way it works. They gossip about me. If you want to be angry, go to God. Go to God. He can handle it. He can handle every single word that you say. And, and I think what's also important to understand is Hebrews really lays this down in, in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest, this is talking about Jesus, 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I, I So many times, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would talk, I was, in, I was in Hastings, Minnesota, I can still put it in my head, and I remember telling the kids, Jesus understands every temptation you've ever had. And they'd look at me and go, uh-uh. Uh, okay, let's stop about this again. Jesus, it says right here, let's read it again. No way, that's not true. Okay, let's read it again. Because we all think that we have this unique circumstances and Jesus is up in heaven. And if you see the pictures of Jesus, maybe that sometimes, he's kind of floating through life. Jesus didn't go to high school. He floated through high school. He floated through school. He didn't have anybody say anything bad about him. He just went, whatever. He just would walk around. He had the halo around his head and glowed all the time. And people just kind of didn't bother. Well, you're not paying attention to Jesus' life. Jesus is up in heaven going, I understand that hurt because I was hurt like you were. I had people gossip behind my back. I had false accusations thrown at me. I was railroaded in court. This is how he died on the cross. Well, you don't understand that that this law situation is going against me. Jesus says, I do understand. You don't understand what it's like to have your family turn on you. How about your disciples turning on you, your best friends? Well, well, okay. You don't after a while, you kind of get to the stage of, yeah, you do get it, Jesus. You understand. And that's why when you s- express your frustration, Jesus, when he was listening to our prayer, says, I understand. I know what you're doing. I know what this is all about. And so we need to come boldly before the throne with confidence, draw near to the throne of God. You say, God, answer me. I'm frustrated. And God said, okay, let's talk. It's best that you come to him with your frustrations rather than everybody else. Or worse, that you take it out on people, your friends, or you take it on that person who's causing that frustration. Because that's our nature to do. What does he say? Oh, God of my righteousness. What does he say? God, you know that I'm innocent. And really when it comes down to it, if God knows we're innocent, that's all that really matters. Have you ever got to the point where you're arguing a point, you're arguing a point, the person just doesn't get it? You're like, I know that I'm right. And all you have to say is, well, God knows you're right, and you just got to let it go. He says, oh, God of my righteousness, you know that I am right. And then he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. He, the word here, distress, he, he says, you made large when we are restricted. God has given him freedom in the past. See what he's starting to do now? He's frustrated, and then he says, but God, you know I'm innocent. See his mood changing all of a sudden? And then you're the one who has released me in the past, and you can do it now. When people have hemmed me in, when people have come for me, you have changed the circumstances. You have changed the situation. I know I can trust in you. And then what's really interesting, starting with verse 2, he starts to talk to his accusers without them being there. And it's kind of a unique situation, but we see that he's talking this out to God and talking to his accusers at the same time, but in the same respect, he's talking to himself. And he's, he's, he's looking into his own heart. So he says right here is, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? 
In other words, he looks at them and he, he looks out and he, he says, how long will my honor be turned to shame? How long will you shame me? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Worthless words are lies. So he looks out and he says, these are the questions I want to ask. These are the questions I want to throw at these people. But you know that if he was in their presence at this time, in his attitude right now, he would say this in a hurtful way. But instead he goes to God and he, speak, he speaks it out. He says, you know what? This is what I want to say to him. I want to say, how long are you going to keep lying about me? How long are you going to do this? I want to get up there and I want to say these things. And then he answers the, his own question in verse 3. But know the Lord, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. So not only does he say something negative, he makes these accusations. He says, just so you know, people that are accusing me, God will take care of his own. He has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. He start, it starts out as a prayer and it ends with a statement of faith. Answer me, God. Hear me, God. And then how does he go in verse 3? The Lord hears when I call him. His, his attitude is starting to change. You already can see the mood change right here. Because he is, he, but he hasn't kept it in. He's let it all out. But he's let it out to God. And God starts to renew in his heart. And now he's starting to say, I know you hear me. I know you declare that I'm righteous. I know that you set apart the godly for yourself. I'm starting to trust in God as I start to speak the words. I know that you're in control, God. So then he moves to a plan. And his plan is to trust in God. Interesting enough that the plan is for those accusing him and himself. So if you look at his plan in four verses, verses 4 to 6, they're actually plans for other people and for himself. It's kind of a mutual thing. I looked in commentaries, and some would say he's speaking about himself. Some would say he's speaking about his accusers. I say he's speaking about both. Because when we say, you know what? Everybody else should be like this. Whenever you say things like that, or when you say you should change and become more like this, Make sure that you're always saying, am I doing that? It's very important to understand. You always remember, when you point at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Remember that? You were always told. It's very true. When you say, those people, these people, let's talk about me. Because we can change ourselves. We can talk about the world, but we can change ourselves. So he gives some good advice. The first advice he gives is, be angry and do not sin. He's talking again to these other people, but also to himself. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Here's the problem. Some people were mad with, the, with David. And so what did they do? They went and told a bunch of people about their anger. They went in, in an angry mood and said horrible things about David. And what happened because of that? They caused David hurt. They caused hurt to his reputation. They told lies. Here's the thing. If you're feeling angry with somebody... Be angry and do not sin. Don't go out and blast your anger everywhere. He's just saying it right here. And as he says it, I can see him saying, you know what, you people, be angry and do not sin. Oh. I, I, I mean, I can just see David. Can't you see David going, that's good advice for me. Because I'm angry right now. And I want to sin. I want to say bad things about these people. I want to go out there and show them who, what, what I'm made out of. You know, kind of go all John Wayne on him. You know, just, I'm just go out there and take him out. I, I'm just going to go out there and, and take care of this. The problem starts when we act out on our anger. The anger, we can be angry about things. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. 
There are things in the world that anger us. But that doesn't mean we can sin. That doesn't mean we can say horrible things, that we can hurt other people. We can be angry, and it says, sit on your bed, ponder in your hearts on your bed, and then we don't want to say the, the word shut up, but be silent, okay? He just says it in a nicer way. Be silent. Keep your mouth shut. Oh, that's just good advice for all of us. Because my heart, I like to talk. Maybe this is why I do what I do, but I, I mean, I like to argue. And it's just like so many times, I think God just wants to say, you know, John, I say be silent a lot in the Bible. You need to reread that over and over again. And I think there's so many of us. If we just, can you, can you feel the words and you want to pull them back into your mouth? I think almost all of us feel that way. Why did I say that? That wasn't the right thing. I said it out of anger. I didn't say it out of a right mind. Ponder it and do not act out. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, um, Paul brings up the same theme when he quotes this verse. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, what Paul is saying right here is using the same thing. If you're frustrated, be frustrated, turn it over to God, and let it go. Don't let the devil have an opportunity. Because if you say, I have every right to be angry, and I'm going to stay angry over and over again, you know what that does to you? It rips you apart with bitterness. The devil has an opportunity that when you're angry, do you make good decisions? No, no, no. We make bad decisions when we're angry. Our, I think our, our, motion, our de- detection for this is a good time to speak and not a good time to speak, that, that little detection thing just goes flying off. We say stupid things, we do stupid things, we hurt people, we blast away. We're like a shotgun everywhere. And we hurt people that we love, we hurt people that we're not supposed to. So what he's trying to say is, let it go. Be silent. Ponder about it and then let it go and be silent. Perhaps he was thinking about his son Absalom at this time. Because Absalom, you know, there are certain cases where they're legitimately where you should be angry. Absalom had this had a, a situation. His brother Amnon raped his half-sister. Amnon, his brother, lured his sister in and then had sex with her and then expelled her and said, now you're a worthless woman. Okay, if I was the brother, I'd be very angry about that. But you know what Absalom did? Instead of just confronting the issue and being done with it, maybe going to the authorities, handling it that way, he had a two-year grudge that he held. A two-year grudge until he could find the situation where he could get Amnon drunk and kill him while he was drunk. But for two years, he nursed that bitterness and that grudge. And now we see that Absalom has become the rebellious son. And he say, well, he had every right to be mad at the woman or the guy who raped his sister. He did. But you know what? It's not our job to take on vengeance. It's up to God to take on vengeance. It's up to us to turn to authorities. But it's not up to us to take the vengeance out. Because when you do that, it destroys you. And it destroyed Absalom. It'll destroy everybody here if we take our own vengeance. And he says, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. He says, don't just, don't just you know, turn away from evil, but start to trust in God. Be, instead of anger, trust in the Lord who's going to look inside of you and start to root out the evil that is inside of you. Put your trust in Him. And verses 6 and 7 here, he, he, at this point, he has to address one other thing. Because I think this all sounds great, but when you get to 6, he says, 
There are many who say, who will show us some good? In other words, he gets to the point where people are saying, yeah, that whole let God take care of it, it doesn't work. Because God's not going to take care of it. If you don't take care of it, nobody else will. You better show that person up. You better take your revenge because nobody else is going to take care of it. You need to. Who is going to do us some good? And he has to address whether it's other people speaking or his own self-doubt. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So what does he do when he has doubts? What does he do? You say, he says, lift up the light of your face upon us. He is having trouble with doubt. He's saying, there are people telling me, I can't trust in you, God. So he starts to quote scripture. You've probably heard this very famous verse, number 625 to 26. The Lord make his face shine upon us, upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What does he do? He goes to the promise of scripture. The doubt comes to his head, and he says, you know what? I'm going to quote scripture, which I know is true. So I can either listen to this doubt, I can listen to these people that don't know what they're talking about, or I can listen to the one who created the heavens and the earth. And when you quote scripture, you see it's also, he, it starts to rise again. Verse 6 is a little bit of a, it could be a point for him where he could start to lose it again. Because he could say, well, maybe this doesn't really work if I trust in God. Oh, remember the prayer. Lord, let your light of your face be upon us, O Lord. Okay, thank you, God. I have hope in you. And then he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when the grain and wine abound. Basically, the greatest time in an agrarian culture like this is when the harvest comes in. There's no, when we still have harvest celebrations up here, we still, but we're not an agrarian culture as much as, as we used to be, especially the area of Bemidji. It's not really what you call it, prime farming country, all right? But in prime farming country, especially when these days, when the harvest came in, it was good because it was all year long. You were worried, are we going to have enough grain? Are we going to have enough water? Is the sun going to come out? Is it going to be a frost? Is there going to be something going on? That is the biggest source of joy that you could have. And what he says right here is, my joy that I have from God is greater than the joy that happens when we have a good harvest. And to put this in terms right now, if I gave everybody here a million dollars, if you reached under your chair, I was kind of like Oprah, reach under your chair and everybody here gets a million dollars. And you say, well, I'd take that million dollars. I'm sure you would. Or if you have the greatest relationship that's ever happened in the face of the earth, or you have, a good, you have good health, a long life, anything this world has to offer, the joy that comes from God is greater and more longstanding than anything else in this world. I, saw, I see these stories, and there's this story about an uh, athlete who's played for the Minnesota Vikings, and he has a court case going on right now. He made $1.5 million last year, $1.5 million. He cannot afford an, attorney, afford an attorney for his court case. And he says, the only thing I have is my $100,000 car. Well, I'd say sell the car, but, you know, the thing is what I'm trying to say is he's made $12 million in the last probably eight years, and he's absolutely broke. Well, if I just had a million dollars, everything would be great. It's not great for him. If I just had this, everything, no. If I just have the joy of the Lord, there you go. The joy of the Lord can carry you through anything. He says, my joy is greater than what they have. 
The greatest joy that my accusers can ever have is nothing compared to what I have in Jesus Christ. What I have in God my Father. There's my source of joy. And here's the result. Here's the result that happens. Verse 8. And I think if I could give a gift, and I can't give it to you, I can give you the source of it. It's from God. It says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He, mer- he moves from burden and oppression in the opening to peace. Now sleep is available. What happens when we sleep? What happens? Who's in, who's in control when you sleep? When you go to sleep at night, who's running everything? Who's keeping everything going? Who's making sure this is? Who's doing your checking account? Who's that? God. Because you're not. You're not running anything when you're doing like that. He has the greatest peace when he says, I now move from I am so upset to God, you have given me peace, I'm going to sleep. And sleep in this thing is, I trust in you, I can go to sleep knowing that my God who gives me joy, my God that takes care of all my needs, my God who knows who is righteous, my God who will free me from this distress is in control of my life. Why don't you stand with me right now? our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, you've never become a Christian, much of what I preached about today is, not a, is, is what, you, what we're looking for. And what I'm trying to say is we don't have peace outside of Jesus Christ. We can't find hope outside of him. Because when we go to sleep, we really, who is running everything? But when we sleep in God's presence, God is in control. When somebody accuses us falsely, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who's watching over us. And not only watching over us, but can take care of every need that we have. So if you're here today and you're living in your own sin, you're trying to run your life on your own, you were never intended to do that. God intended you to be in charge. And so you need to come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. They can help you become a Christian and follow after him. But for everybody else that's here, if you're lying awake at night, Right now, you can identify the source of your, your, your hurt and your anguish in your life right now. Follow these prescriptions. Follow after God and turn it over to Him. And say, God, I'm going to find my joy in you. The fact that you're in control, the fact that you're running this life, I'm going to give it to you.